This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Welcome back to another episode of Weird Distractions, a weekly podcast where I, Alex, rotate between true crime, conspiracy theories, paranormal stories, folklore, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that to provide you and more than likely what your local food truck worker would consider a weird distraction from everyday life. Before we get into this week's distraction, I do have a little bit of housekeeping to go over and of course I need to tell you what I need a distraction from this week. So when it comes to housekeeping, just want to give a little bit of a reminder for patrons currently on the Here for the Weird tier that there will be a new Weird Spam episode coming out on August 15th. So mark your calendars, get ready, because it's going to be a good one. I mean, I I think I say that with all the episodes, but I have high hopes for this one as well, especially considering I am going to be joined by a fellow Cultivate family member. So you'll definitely want to check it out. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you should definitely head on over to patreon.com slash weird distractions. Now for my need for a distraction. My need for a distraction this week is life's just been really busy and I'm not complaining of oh my gosh I'm just too busy with all these plans and oh my life sucks. No it's it's ultimately just I feel as though there are so many things going on you know with work and my personal life and you know podcast and whatever that it's hard just to kind of take a moment to sit. (laughs) So my need for distraction is that you know, I'm just feeling a little, little busy, a little burnt out, but you know what? It is what it is, and I'm ready to discuss a distraction because that's what I love to do. So let's get ready, get comfortable, get seated, or if you're walking, get on your walk, and let's get distracted with a conspiracy theory this week. As some avid listeners may be aware, I have decided to revise and re-record the older episodes of Weird Distractions. The first one I did was actually the very first episode of the show, being that of Roque Terrio and the Ant Hill Kids Cult. That new episode was re-released on July 3rd of 2022, and the original audio, which came out in April 2020, has also been replaced by the new audio as of the release of this episode. Basically, I'm doing this to some of the earlier episodes because I think now that the show has been around for two years, I've kind of grown more as a podcaster. That and the audio, in my opinion, sounds a lot better from when Christy and I first started the show. Which, as a reminder, unfortunately Christy won't be joining me for these re-released episodes, but have no fear as I will still make them all very weird. My plan right now is to tackle the older episodes that I feel need a little bit more TLC, which brings us to today's episode. So originally when Christy and I recorded the Titanic Conspiracy Theories episode, we were joined by our friends Jamie, Jenna, and Nicole. As much fun as that was, the audio was painful to go back and listen to now, which is obviously more on me than our lovely guests. So to be frank, this was done early on in the show and Christy and I were still kind of figuring out what we were doing and kind of just more being 
silly with all of this. Nonetheless, I've decided that the Titanic episode was in need of a big overhaul and therefore the original audio and episode will be taken away and now you have this lovely episode to hopefully enjoy. Now it's time to get your swimsuits on, maybe your floaties, as we go back and discuss the reported conspiracy theories surrounding the infamous demise of the Titanic. I'll be discussing the history of the ship, the timeline of its last moments, and then dive into the projected theories. Due to potential coarse language, along with other adult themes, listener discretion is advised. Let's get into some of the backstory regarding this historic ship and its importance because, well, it is important to know before we get all tinfoil hat about how it sank. The British passenger liner named the Royal Mail Ship, or RMS, Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland by shipyard Harland and Wolfe and was owned by the White Star Line. White Star Line, also known as the Oceanic Steam Navigation Company, was founded in 1845 in Liverpool, England and served as a transatlantic shipping and transportation line. The RMS Titanic was the second of three Olympic-class ocean liners and was 882 feet and 9 inches long with a max breadth of 92 feet and 6 inches. However, we're not done talking about its size because, let's be real, this ship was pretty popular when it came to its size. And in terms of ships, apparently size does matter. The Titanic measured at 46,328 gross register tons and had a drought of 34 feet and 7 inches, displacing a total of under 53,000 feet, according to Wikipedia. In other words, it was big. The construction began on March 31st of 1909, in which the ship would be equipped with three main engines, along with a two-four cylinder, triple expansion stream engines, and one centrally placed low-pressure Parsons turbine, each driving a propeller. Needless to say, This thing was also super powerful. On top of being powerful, the ship was also advertised as being unsinkable. According to Britannica, people believe that the passenger liner's safety design by Thomas Andrews was so state-of-the-art as it boasted radiotelegraphic equipment, which was maintained on a 24-hour scheduled basis and handled navigating messages including weather reports and ice warnings. Keep this in mind for later, especially if you don't know how the Titanic sunk. Moving away from the mechanics of the ship, let's talk about the passenger facilities, which are one of many reasons why people still gab about the Titanic to this day. So if you never watched the Titanic movie or you just don't really know much about the ship, let's just say that the Titanic was known to be super luxurious. For example, the ship reportedly had a seven foot saltwater swimming pool, a gym, squash court, a Turkish bath, which had an electric bath, i.e. a tanning bed, a steam room, cool room, massage room, and a hot room. These facilities, of course, were only accessible to the first class passengers. These passengers were kind of the millionaires, the business people, and just ultimately the the elites of the society at the time. And I actually came up with a little list of some of the people that were on the Titanic at this time. So first up is John Jacob Astor IV, who was an American businessman and part of the wealthy Astor family. That means really nothing to me other than more than likely rich, rich, you know. 
super wealthy. Uh, there was also the millionaire Margaret Molly Brown, who was an American socialite whose husband, J.J. Brown, hit it big with mining engineering in the States. Also on board was Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, who, according to Wikipedia, was a prominent Scottish landowner and sportsman and, without a doubt, has the coolest name. And last was Elise Bowerman, who, fun fact, was a British lawyer and part of the women's suffrage movement. With all of that said, it's fair to state that most of the first class folks were, as mentioned, millionaires or people of a very high social stature, wealthy business folks, entertainers, and even professional athletes, to name a few. Speaking of classes, let's break down what second and third class life was like on the RMS Titanic. And direct quote from the Social Science for Kids website, quote, Among the second-class members were professors, authors, tourists, and clergymen. Most of the third-class passengers were immigrants seeking a new life in the United States or Canada, end quote. So second-class may not have been necessarily as lavish as first, but it still had a bit of moving room. According to the BBC website, the second-class passengers had access to things such as a spacious outdoor promenade, a smoking room, a library, and a dining room. They also had the privilege of afternoon tea and coffee, which would be reportedly served in the library. Again, referencing to the BBC website page, things in the third class quarters were, you know, a smidge tight. And in a direct quote, cabins slept up to 10 people, once again, in third class, and were located at the noisy bottom part of the ship close to the engines. Single men and women were split up at the front and back with families in the middle. There were only two baths for everyone in third class. For some reason, this reminds me of when my friend Jamie and I went to Cork Ireland and we stayed at a hostel that was above a bar which was very noisy and I think there were four of us to a room maybe six no four of us to a room and needless to say you kind of just made do with it like it wasn't ideal but you were also not wanting to pay an arm and a leg for other accommodations so you just kind of dealt with it. There were approximately 3,547 people on the Titanic when it set sail on April 10th of 1912. 833 of those people were first class, 614 second class, and finally 1,006 people were third class, meaning that there was in or around 1,100 staff approximately on ship of the Titanic, if my math is right. And once again, not a mathematician. Speaking of staff, apparently none that worked on the Titanic were considered permanent staff at the time, and there was only a documented 885 crew members on board for the maiden voyage. So there's a discrepancy of like 215 people from what my math and what resources claim. Regardless, with all of these people on board, safety measures were put into place with upwards of 20 lifeboats originally placed on the ship. 14 of those lifeboats were supposedly wooden Harlan and Wolf lifeboats, which could hold up to 65 people, so approximately 910 people total based on my math, which, once again, not a mathematician, so bear with me. Then the remaining boats were supposedly collapsible with the ability to hold up to 47 people each. The lifeboats were primarily kept swinging out for immediate use while the collapsible ones were stowed on the boat deck. Based on documentation, the White Star Line supposedly provided more lifeboat accommodations than what was legally required to at the time, but it should be known that the White Star Line only actually put 16 wooden lifeboats and four collapsible ones for the main voyage, covering enough space for 1,178 people, which is about one-third of the Titanic's total capacity. Lifeboats during this time period were more so to take survivors from a sinking ship to a rescue ship as opposed to keeping mass amounts of people or max capacity afloat or push them to shore. 
Keep this in mind for later. Another thing to keep in mind is that the Titanic had previous sea trials, i.e. kind of test drives, or considerably test runs, uh, which one of them took place on April 2nd. And this can be confirmed with the agreement and account of voyages and crew documents, which was signed after a 12-hour test run of the Titanic. This documentation essentially meant that the Titanic was ready to go and kind of verified that it was ready to set sail. Now, the main voyage of the Titanic took place on April 10th, 1912 at noon. Titanic's maiden voyage was intended to be the first of many transatlantic crossings between Southampton and New York via Cherbourg, France, and what is now known as Cobb, Ireland, on westbound runs, returning via Plymouth, England, while eastbound. By 6.12pm on April 10th, they had reached Cherbourg, France, to get more passengers. On April 11th, at around 11.30am, the Titanic reached Cobb, Ireland. From what we know, between April 12th and 13th, the Titanic had presumably a calm sail through waters, but jumping to April 14th, it's been documented that there were approximately several iceberg warnings received by the Titanic, which takes us to 11.40 p.m. that evening when lookout staff member Frederick Fleet spotted an iceberg and notified the rest of the crew. The crew reportedly tried to steer away from the iceberg, as one would probably do in that situation, and the engines were to be stopped. However, it was a little too late, kind of like the pop song by Jojo. It's too little too late. The iceberg struck the Titanic on the right side, which created a series of holes below the waterline. I always thought that the boat was punctured and that's how the water came in, but it actually dented the ship so much so that the hull's seams buckled and separated, which allowed the water to come in. Five of the watertight compartments were breached instantly, which meant utter doom as only four could really handle that kind of flooding. The front of the ship or the bow began sinking first. Even though the boat was sinking, things on top of the ship seemed kind of calm. You know, people were like, oh, what's going on? I'm trying to have a drink. You know, they weren't really, I think, phased by the severity of the situation because once again, this ship was marketed as quote unquote unsinkable. At the time of the iceberg hit, there was approximately 3,339 people on board. Some may have gotten off in previous spots, but this is the number that we now know. Once again, only one third of the passengers and staff would have access to a lifeboat, which is a little bit chaotic to think about, especially in retrospect. I also can't imagine how stressful it would have been knowing that information and trying to remain calm on board the ship, knowing that there wasn't enough lifeboats for everybody. Like, talk about working under pressure. I think that is the ultimate definition. And you know what? Moving forward, if you want to sell yourself in an interview, you should say, I can work so well under pressure that it is comparable to probably what the staff members who knew about the lifeboat situation on the Titanic had to deal with kind of pressure. It also didn't help that the crew reportedly wasn't trained adequately in carrying out any kind of evacuation and the officers supposedly didn't know how many people they could safely put in a lifeboat, which led to many being launched half full. Third class passengers were essentially left to fend for themselves and kind of to reference from the movie starting Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio, we know that women and children were considered first when filling a lifeboat, meaning most of the male 
passengers and crew members were kind of left aboard to wait until all those folks were put on a lifeboat. A little over two and a half hours after the initial hit, the sinking of the Titanic increased as the boat dipped underwater more. This led to the ship breaking into two main pieces between the second and third tunnels, aka not what you want while you're in open waters. The bow of the ship would begin to go further underwater, leaving the air trapped in the stern, aka the back end or the butt of the ship if you're a Finding Nemo fan. The back end of the ship would eventually bob afloat of the water for a few minutes, rising to an almost vertical angle with hundreds of people still holding onto it for dear life. Eventually, the unsinkable Grand Titanic sunk at approximately 2.20 a.m. The death toll has been put at between 1,490 and 1,635 people. However, we don't have a set number due to this body tracking. Beyond the obvious drowning, the temperature of the water was deadly to the passengers. According to resources, water temperature readings taken around the time of the accident were reported to be minus 2 degrees Celsius. The number of those who died fluctuates, as some survivors state that they were pulled from the water died shortly after due to injuries and exposure. In total, 50% of the children survived, 20% of the men survived, and 75% of the women, you guessed it, survived. Only an estimated 333 bodies of the Titanic victims were recovered. Some speculate that a quantity of the bodies sank with the ship, including that of the captain. Others hypothesize that the current quickly dispersed bodies and wreckage across hundreds of miles, making them difficult to recover. The first ship to reach the site of the sinking, being the C.S. McKay Bennett, found so many bodies that the embalming supplies aboard were used very quickly, and to the point where they kind of ran out of supplies. The bodies, which were taken to Halifax, Nova Scotia, were taken to a makeshift morgue that actually was a curling club called the Mayflower Curling Club. Due to the mass amount of victims, undertakers were called from all over Canada to assist with the victims' bodies. After reviewing the situation, the identified bodies, which was about two-thirds of the total amount found, were shipped to be buried in their respected hometowns across North America and Europe. Unidentified victims were buried with only numbers based on the order in which their bodies were discovered. The majority of the unknown recovered victims, being around 150 in total, were buried in three Halifax cemeteries, the largest being Fairview Lawn. The other two are Mount Olivet and Baron de Hirsch cemeteries. And my apologies if I am mispronouncing both of those. Now that we've kind of talked about the history of the Titanic, I think it's finally time for us to get into some of the conspiracy theories. So even though a majority of people believe that the ship sunk due to the impact of the iceberg, there are some people who thinks something different happened. For this episode, I'm going to discuss three very weird conspiracy theories that I found online. However, if there is one that I missed, please send it to me as I'm always curious to see what people think actually happened. So the first conspiracy theory is that a millionaire banker named JP Morgan planned the disaster of the Titanic to kill his rivals. So before getting even into this theory, you may be wondering, who is JP Morgan? Well, according to the biography website, our boy John Pierpoint, aka JP, co-founded the banking firm that became JP Morgan & Co. in 1871. According to his company's website, J.P. Morgan is a global leader in financial services offering solutions to the world's most important corporations, governments, and institutions. However, some people think that J.P. was actually banking some murderous plans while banking in that dough. Allegedly, J.P. really hated other millionaires, such as John Jacob Astor, who I mentioned before, co-founder of Macy's department store Isidore Strauss, and Benjamin Guggenheim, whose wealth came from his father a big shot in American mining and smelting. And yes, I said smelting. And no, I won't be giving a definition. 
I will let you Google it. It's nothing disgusting, but I, I don't, I just don't have the capacity to try and explain it. Anyways, moving on. You may be wondering, what was JP's beef with Ben, Isidore, and John? Supposedly, these men allegedly opposed the creation of the Federal Reserve, which was something that JP was allegedly up for. He was really interested in it. He stood behind it. And so this disagreement may have caused some kind of rift between the men. So much so that JP originally was going to be on the Titanic for its maiden voyage, however, changed his mind before it took off. Some theorize that JP found out his enemies were going to be on board of the Titanic and decided to get off before planning their fates. But did JP get so mad that he went as far as murdering them? Probably not, as there's some holes in this theory. For example, there's no documentation that John and Ben ever made their opinion on the Federal Reserve, and Isidore supposedly supported the Federal Reserve, similar to JP. On top of that, and as far as my understanding based on the research I came across, there was no explanation as to how JP would have killed these men and sunk the Titanic. Like, there was no explanation as to how he would have done it. I mean, I really hope that no one out there thinks that JP created an iceberg just to hit the Titanic. With that said, why would JP plan to sink a ship with all these men on it when there wasn't any proof that there was any beef between the four of them? Not only that, but to sink an entire ship just to get back at three people who don't necessarily agree with you on something is pretty petty. Like, really petty. Extremely petty. There are some connections to J.P. Morgan and Titanic, though. So, for example, in 1902, White Star had become a property owned by the International Mercantile Marine Company, or IMM, which was bankrolled by J.P. Morgan. This fact actually brings up another question. Why would J.P. want to sing something that he was technically bankrolling in on and had documented ties to. Once again, this theory seems as stretched out as saying that the Titanic was unsinkable. Now on to our next theory, which is the Titanic never actually sank. This theory states that someone switched the Titanic with another White Star Line ship, the RMS Olympic, and the OG Titanic never actually sunk. According to the history website, this theory starts with the fact that the Olympic was damaged while sailing from Southampton, England to New York in September of 1911 and had returned to Harlan and Wolf's shipping yard in Belfast for repairs. Supposedly, after the repairs, the company repaired the Olympic and it sailed to New York and back again. Unfortunately, the Olympic had returned to Belfast and even more repairs in March of 1912. There was also a collision between another ship, the HMS Hawk and RMS Olympic, which may have caused even more serious damage to the liner than its owners were prepared to admit at the time, according to the Titanic Switch website. The Olympic, aka Old Reliable, was hypothetically becoming a financial headache, as it seemingly was gaining more wear and tear with each trip. So some believe that when it came time for the Titanic to set sail, someone posed the Olympic out on the water as the Titanic with a mindset that if they set sail with the Olympic, being the Titanic, and let's say, I don't know, hypothetically something was to happen to that ship, they could potentially cash in some insurance money to pay for all the debt they gained from the Olympics repairs. Whether it was also planned for thousands to die and lose their loved ones, who knows? I personally kind of doubt it, but alas, this is apparently part of the theory. This theory is backed up by the allegation that the Titanic didn't allow for a public examination before its grand voyage, as they didn't want anyone to find out that it was actually 
actually the Olympic, apparently. However, that allegation doesn't necessarily hold any water to this theory. The biggest downfall of this entire theory is that the Titanic's insurance wasn't even enough to cover the Olympics' loss. And a direct quote from the Titanic Switch website to explain further, quote, quite simply, the fact that Titanic was underinsured and not only that, the remainder self-insured should silence the switch theory from the outset. Essentially, Titanic was underinsured by 2.5 million, approximately 70 million US dollars in today's money, because the White Star Line insured its own ships, end quote. On top of that, the ships were also different. Sure, they kind of looked alike from a distance, but inside was a different story. According to an article written for Popular Mechanics by David Grossman, the Titanic had a unique cafe and a large restaurant inside, while the Olympic just didn't. The Olympic also reportedly had additional steel plates that were fitted to the bed plates of the engine, which the Titanic, as you may have guessed it, didn't. For those wondering, the Olympic was withdrawn from transatlantic service and put into retirement in 1935. So despite that it was, you know, costing some big money back in the day, it did actually continue to set sail for quite some time. Speaking of setting sail, let's dive into the last theory, which is a mummy's curse is behind the demise of the Titanic. This might just be the weirdest theory I've seen yet. So this theory starts off with one of the passengers and unfortunately one of the victims of the Titanic being William Steed. Orsted. Not really sure how it's pronounced, but his first name is William. We'll get into it, but there are a lot of layers and a lot of different avenues, maybe I should say, to this theory. William was a British editor who, according to reports, was behind the spiritualism movement aren't we all? During his spiritual journey through life, William reportedly spent the previous seven years claiming a cursed mummy was behind mysterious destructions and disasters in London, England. William didn't leave this ideation behind when he got into the RMS Titanic, as there have been allegations that William tried to convince others of his ideations. In a direct quote from a Slate article by Matthew Desim, quote, at the saloon table of the Titanic, he, being William, related to a fellow passenger, Frederick K. Seward, an uncanny tale of the adventures of the mummy in the British Museum, which had punished, he said, with great calamities all who had written his story. He told of one person after another who had come to disaster after writing its sinister history, end quote. And I think the sinister history aspect is referring to the mummy. So did retelling of the mummy story seal William and those on Titanic their fate? Probably not. However, in other versions of the story, supposedly the mummy that William was speaking about was actually on board on the ship, which you might be wondering why was there a mummy on the Titanic? Well, some speculate it was on board because the British Museum had sold it to an American museum and was kind of using the Titanic as, you know, a purilator or a FedEx, so to speak. So perhaps it wasn't just the retelling of the story, maybe it was just having the mummy on board that caused this weird curse to kind of sink the Titanic. This theory does have a hole in it though, as supposedly the mummy that is in reference of this theory, which unfortunately I don't have the name to it, is still in the British Museum. Plus there's also the notion that no mummy was actually documented to be loaded on the ship. As mentioned before, there are other avenues of this theory regarding the whole, you know, mummy on board aspect. Some have linked the mummy's curse theory to Egyptian artifacts that survivor Margaret Brown possessed while on board of the Titanic. Brown apparently was taking the artifacts to Denver, but as far as my understanding, she wasn't taking a fully intact mummy. I mean, who's to say? I once again don't think there was any mummies on the Titanic, 
but maybe to sit here and speculate wildly, if she did have some artifacts, maybe they were cursed and not happy to be on the seas. You never know. But what I do know is that it is time to summarize this week's weird distraction. Although to some, the sinking of the Titanic seems pretty straight edge in regards to what happened, as discussed, there are some skeptical Susies out there that think otherwise. Personally, I think the iceberg did the ship in as opposed to anything else, but what do you all think? Was it a natural accident caused by an iceberg? Or was it a mummy's curse? Was there a good old switcheroo between ships? Comment on today's social media posts, shoot me a DM, or email me with your thoughts. Do you have a relative who is on the Titanic or some other weird connection to the Titanic? Tell me about it. I'd love to hear your Titanic-related tales. If you've enjoyed today's Weird Distractions episode, please consider telling your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone else who will listen about the show. You can tell them to find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, and many more. If you're streaming the show on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review. This helps the show out for free by letting others know that it's worth listening to. Another way to support the show for free and to never miss an up update is to follow along on the show's various social media accounts. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. My handle is at WeirdDistractI1 and TikTok. If you want to financially support the show and get yourself a little something extra each month, why not join one of the two tiers over on Patreon? Each month you get exclusive content such as bonus episodes and series, the Weird Destinations travel posts, plus early access to the regular feed episodes. You can find out which tier is best suited for you by by going to patreon.com slash weirddistractionspodcast. Shout out to my current patrons, aka my weird little family members, Tom, Bailey, Angela, John, Alicia, Lynn, Sissy, Shadow, Courtney, and Cheryl. I love you all and appreciate your ongoing support of Weird Distractions. If you're unable to support the show on a monthly basis, but still want to support it maybe as a one-time donation, check out the show's merch over on Redbubble or sign up for a one-time donation over on Buy Me A Coffee. Lastly, I want to hear from you. As some longtime listeners may recall, Christy and I released two listener story-based episodes called Listener Distractions. I'd love to keep doing this series and hear all of your weird tales of ghostly encounters, unexplainable events, and too close to home true crime stories. You can email me your tales at weirddistractionspodcast@outlook.com. As well, send me feedback. If there are any corrections that need to be made after today's episode, let me know. And as always, if you need a distraction, I got you. Bye. Bye.